Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're, we've begun just recently in the book of 1 Timothy, and we're making our way piece by piece through the book. And we're, we're in chapter 1, verse 5. It's on page 1409, if you're using one of the Bibles that we have for you there, uh, in the seats there. But um, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read verse 1 to 7. But our attention will be put on verse 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia... Remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Well, our focus, like I said, is on verse 5 there. You see the verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith you remember you remember that last week we talked about how there were false teachers rising up actually it was apparently the leaders that were within the church it may, it may not have been people from the outside but people from the inside who were getting getting enamored with some uh, intriguing ideas and and uh, these genealogies and myths and a mixture of that in with the old testament and they their own leaders, some of their own leaders now were starting to teach the wrong thing and lead people towards uh, the wrong thing. And Paul was saying in verse 5, their, well, in verse 4, he's saying their instruction leads to speculation. But what is the goal of our instruction? And so he's, he's saying, here's the goal. Here's w- why we teach. Here's what we want to happen because... Of what we teach. And we want to make sure that we understand. You know some would say well who's. This is the goal of whose instruction. And we'll remember there's kind of three layers here. There's Paul who's instructing Timothy. And then there's there's Timothy who's instructing the, the other leaders in the church. And then there's the leaders. And they're instructing everybody in the church. Uh, so whose instruction is Paul talking about here? Well, he does say the word our. You see that there? in The, the goal of our instruction. So he's not narrowing this down just to his instruction to Timothy. He's saying this is our instruction, your instruction to them. And actually, by uh, implication, it's all of our instruction. The instruction in the church. The teaching in the church, which is so important and on which there is such an emphasis placed in the scripture. Here's the goal of it. Here's the goal of our instruction. 
What I'd like to do as we, as we uh, dissect this goal is to look at five facets, five facets of this goal that he is, uh, he's explaining here, the Apostle Paul is explaining. And as we do it, I trust that God the Spirit will take his word and use it in your life to challenge you and to build you up as well as myself. Five facets of our goal. The first facet is this. It's simple. I like this. <laughs> it's simple. But the goal of our instruction is, and then you can boil it all down to one word, love. Now, he does actually add some more words. And in, an, in, an, in one sense, all, that, all that's occurring here in, in the whole book of First Timothy is the way this love is going to work itself out. And yet, you can say it, you can say it with one word. The goal of our instruction is love. This fits with other places where Paul has written in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. In Galatians, what happened was there were some other teachers that had come in. And they had a different problem than the problem in Ephesus. In Galatia, there were, there were people who were teaching that you had to fulfill the Old Testament laws, the requirements of the Old Testament law. You had to keep all of that as well as have Jesus. You can have Jesus, but you've got to add this other stuff in. One of them was circumcision. He said, you've got to be circumcised in order for it to, to really be made right with God and to live with God. And Paul said there in Galatians 5 verse 6, he said, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. He says it again. He says this in just about everything he writes. He says it in one way or the other. He boil, it boils a lot of this. It boils down to love. It's simple. The goal, our goal is very simple. And what's this love look like? Well, there's a passage of scripture that's been read at countless weddings. First Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to read along with me, it's on page 1367. But I, I want you to hear Again, you've heard it before, but listen again. This is the kind of love that is supposed to be in your life and in mine. If you say you're a Christian and I say I'm a Christian, then, then this is what our life is supposed to look like. This is how important love is, and this is what love looks like. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into an account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You see, that we all resemble that picture there in 1 Corinthians 13. That's, that's the goal. That we become more and more like the picture that's painted in 1 Corinthians 13. And that love in 1 Corinthians 13 will be worked out in a million different ways. We can't really just make a list and say, this is what a person like that will do. It's, it, when life comes at us and it comes at us hard, the way we respond, what we do, that love can, can be expressed in, the, in, in, in an uncountable different ways. But that's the love. That's the picture. And if I preach every Sunday and if the Sunday school teachers teach every Sunday and the small group leaders facilitate and lead discussions every week and the youth leaders teach every week, but we all don't grow in resembling that picture of love more and more, then we aren't reaching our goal. Our goal isn't defined by programs. Our goal is defined by love. More people who love and people who love more. Got that? More people who love and people who love more. That's that's success. That's success. It's simple, really. The goal of our instruction is love. And aren't you glad that it's simple. <clears throat> I mean, what if it was really complicated and you had to be like real educated to figure it out? That'd be a bummer. Because then all, all, the, all the educated people would have a chance at reaching the goal. But those with lesser education couldn't reach it. But that's not the way God does things. And it's not the people with means, <clears throat> with a lot of money, that can reach the goal. But the people who don't have a lot of money can't reach it. No, we can all love. Amen. It's not the people who get certain advantages and opportunities in their life and that can, can reach the goal, but some others that just because where they're at, they just don't get the opportunities that these people do. And, but no, you see the goal is simple. It's love. And these people and these people, and those people and those people, well, however you categorize people or describe people, whatever boxes you put people in, we can all do this. Amen? The goal of our instruction is, is love. It's simple. It's simple. Sometimes we people, we human beings, we, we, we like to make things more complicated than it is. 
don't know if you ever noticed that. <clears throat> the goal of our instruction is love. Is love. Second, second facet. It is simple. But secondly, it's profound. This is profound. It says the goal of our instruction is love. You know, in, in uh, Paul's day, all of the writing that was being done uh, was, in, was mainly in, done in Greek. This kind of stuff was written in, in Greek, even though it was under the Roman rule and Latin was around. But, but Greek was, was being used. And in the Greek, there's four words that when you try to translate them into English, you use the word love. But there's four different words used for love. There's one eros that's concerning physical and sensual love. There's philia, which describes the eagles, the, brother, the city of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia. That's, that's yeah. Did I hear an amen? <laughs> it's talking about a friendship, a, a, a friendship kind of love. There's another one called Storge, which is kind of a family love, like between parents and children. And then there's that word, and some of you heard it before, agape in the Greek, agape love. And that's the word that's used here. And the word agape is an amazing word. It's referring to a love that, that, that is given to another person on no conditions. The other person doesn't have to do anything. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that offers itself freely to someone who, even to someone who doesn't deserve it. The idea of reciprocating isn't in there. It's just loving the other person. No conditions, whether they return it or not, you love. It existed in the Greek language, but it was Christianity that then took it and really put uh, use to it. And it makes sense, too, because who else is going to love that way? There was kind of the idea of it, but Christianity brought the reality of it in. Agape love. The goal of our instruction is that we become people who love in this profound way. Different authors have tried to tried to describe this love and try to flesh it out. And I like what William Hendrickson said. William Hendrickson is one of my favorite Bible scholars. He's with the Lord now. <clears throat> so I have a feeling that he, he knows agape love right now in a way that he didn't even know when he penned what I'm going to read to you. He knows it now. I'm not sure how he'd write it now if he could. But this is what he wrote before he died. He said, this love, meaning the goal of our instruction is love. This love may be described as a personal delight in God, a grateful outgoing of the entire personality to him, a deep yearning for the prosperity of his redeemed. In other words, may good happen to my brothers and sisters in Christ and an earnest desire <clears throat> for the temporal, <clears throat> excuse me, for the temporal and eternal welfare of his creatures. It's a mouthful, but he's saying that this love that's to be in our life, that's to characterize our lives, is to be a delight in God, and our whole being goes out to God, and then we want what's best for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then it doesn't stop there's for everything. All that God has created 
That's people and everything else. We just want goodness on them and we're willing to do what it takes. That goodness occurs and welfare occurs in their lives. This is profound. It's simple, but it's profound. It affects our behavior. This kind of love affects our behavior. We love other people. We love people. Did you ever meet one, somebody who says, these people bug me. Did you ever meet somebody who says, I just love God, and they just ooze. You know, they ooze. But they're a bear to get along with. You know, they're irritating, they're obnoxious, they're, they're self-centered, but oh, they love God. Oh, and they quote verses too. That's the worst kind. I love God. Well, then how come you can't get along with anybody? Well, it's all their fault. When the whole world stinks, check around. You might have some Limburger cheese in your pocket. (laughs) Listen to 1 John 4, 20 to 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Pretty simple. Amen? But profound. It's saying that our, our behavior is changed. This agape love is not just what I feel. It's what I do and how I relate to the people that my life touches. It affects our behavior, but it also affects our motives. It affects our motives. It, it is on the inside too. It's not just gritting our teeth and doing, trying to do the right thing, but it's wanting to do the right thing. It's wanting to do the right thing. It's loving in terms of my emotions too. I've said this before, but... What would it be like? It's on my, my anniversary comes, back in my anniversary. So I get her some roses. I come home from work. I hand them to her and I say, it's our anniversary. And this is what guys do on the anniversary. They give their wives roses. Here. Ah, man, it'd just warm her heart, wouldn't it? And that's not what God wants either. Just loving people. Well, I got to love people, so I'm going to love people. No, it's not just a duty. The agape love is talking about something that happens inside of us that we want. I want to give my wife roses. Sometimes I want to give her roses, but can't. And that's better than not wanting to, but doing it anyway, right? All the ladies, men, all the ladies just nodded their head. You see, this is profound. It affects our behavior, but it does affect my motives. My motives are changed. What I desire is different. That's agape love. And it involves every relationship. Every relationship. Agape love affects everything. And I want you to think about this. This is obvious, but you might have... Let's say it. Let's say it. Every relationship, agape love is supposed to be flowing from me or from you into every relationship. Some of our relationships are really close. And then we have some that 
you know, right there, our, our wife, our husband, family. And then there might be a, a really close friend. So you're still close. And then there's other people that you're not as close with them, but you're still good friends. And then it, there's a whole continuum, right? And that's okay. That's the way life has to be. We can't be super friends with everyone. So there's this continuum. Where is it that agape love stops? Nowhere. It's just the way we're supposed to live. Even all the way up to the cashier in a store that you don't know if you'll ever see that person again or not. Do they feel something different when you get up to the cash register? Even that relationship. I remember my my grandmother. She was an amazing lady. She had this inside of her. God had worked in her. I remember being a little kid. I had to have been little because she was really short, believe it or not. And I remember in my memory, I remember looking up at her. So I must have really been down here. And she's just, she just exuded this. I remember one time waiting in line at some, I don't even remember what it was, but there was some clerk or something and there's a long line and people were impatient she was flustered we're waiting there and we waiting there and waiting there and then finally my grandmother gets up to the up to the little window and she got up and she looked at the lady and she said my your hair is beautiful and you could see i mean the lady was already tensed up one more angry person right and she started to relax and then my grandma said, it sure is busy today, isn't it? You all are really busy. And I just sat there and watched her. My grandmother was thinking about her. She wasn't thinking about herself. And she, the, the whole composure of that lady changed. And the conversation only lasted about three minutes. They took care of their whatever, and she and I left. But the lady was different. Agape love is supposed to be coming out of us in every single relationship, close or far. Agape love is profound. It's simple, but it's profound. Thirdly, thirdly, it is supernaturally caused. You say, well, where'd you get that? Look again at 1 Timothy 1.5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. The heart is the center of our life. The scripture uses it as the center of our emotions. It's where our will is, where we decide. It's even in times it's all mixed up. It even describes our, our mind and how we think. It's a core of us. And it says that this love, the goal, our goal is that we love coming up out of a pure heart. Well, the problem is we know that our heart has been ruined by sin. I was thinking, what verse should I share about that? Well, I just picked Ephesians 2, 3. Paul in that letter was talking about how, how uh, bad off we all were in sin. And he says, among them, he had just described sinners, the way people are. He says, among them, we too all formerly lived. We were just like them. We were part of them, he said. In the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Paul's saying there that all of us start off by nature children of wrath. What does that mean? Wrath is the punitive 
anger of God. It's the, it's the just response of a holy God to those of us that have broken his law. Wrath is, a, is a, an expression of the punishment that has to come our way when being lawbreakers. And he said, by nature, we're all children of that. We all deserve it. We all deserve it because on the inside, we're all twisted and self-centered and not loving. So how then can this love, you see it says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, not from that natural heart. Well, agape love is only attained because it began with the work of God in the heart. Amen? The heart has to be changed. We have to go from being children of wrath to having a heart that God calls pure. Reminds me of Titus 3, 5, where it says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and he regenerates us. It's a big word. It means he causes us to be born again. Amen? Born again. By his spirit, he renews us and he changes us on the inside. Christianity is not figuring out what the rules are and just trying to follow the rules. Christianity is coming into a personal encounter with God in which his spirit changes us on the inside. And when that supernatural change occurs and he takes my heart from being just, I'm just a child of wrath and changes me and gives me a pure heart, now I can love. But the goal cannot be attained unless you are born again. One time a man came to Jesus at night. His name was Nicodemus. And he, and he talked to him. And it says in John chapter 3, verse 3, listen to this. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Friend, the goal of our instruction is love, but that love has to be supernaturally begun in individual hearts. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Again, this really threw Nicodemus for a loop. He wasn't quite sure what to make of this. And Jesus kept going in chapter 3 there in John. And he was talking about this. And he used another illustration about in the Old Testament where there was a plague of serpents on the people of God. And they made a bronze serpent by God's command. And they lifted it up on a banner. And everyone who looked at it would be healed if they were bitten by the snakes. And Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up so that whoever believes 
will in him have eternal life. Jesus was saying that he, as the Son of Man, would be lifted up on a cross. And everybody, just like in the Old Testament, he said, just like that, that story with Moses, how everyone had to look at the serpent that was lifted up. If we look at Jesus Christ, and he says here, Who, whoever believes in him, and we believe in Jesus Christ, the Christ who died on the, on the cross to take away the punishment of our sin, if we trust him and believe, we are born again. Amen? Are you born again? Are you actually born again? Or are you just trying to be a Christian by what you do? You've got to go to Christ. It's where it all starts. And let him supernaturally change you on the inside. Don't, you can't trust in yourself to change yourself. And get this. I don't know if you're surprised to hear me say this, but... Don't trust in our church to change you. Amen? You have to trust in Christ. Now, hopefully what we're doing is helping you do that. But you can't trust in our church to change you. You must trust in him. And let's go on another step and say this to you parents. Don't trust our church to change your kids. You must trust Christ to change your children's hearts. Amen? Many people come to church and they, they put their kids in the youth pro, children and youth programs and just that's that. And they would never say it this way, but in their minds, they're, they're trusting the church and they're trusting the program to do what? To change their children's hearts. That's not how it works. One of our kids is at Snowglow. So you put, you put her on the bus, and then what do you do? You go back home and you pray. Amen? And you keep praying. And then you pray some more. Because it's not Snowglow that's going to change the heart of a teenager. It's God who's going to change their heart. You see, the goal of our instruction is love, but it's love that comes out of a a pure heart. It's a heart that's been changed by God. Amen? It's supernaturally caused. Fourth, fourth facet. It's daily decided. To know how to say it, so I was saying it this way. It's decided Daily, It's daily decided. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. Very interesting. Now he speaks about the conscience. You know, the conscience is that within us that self-judges us. It's like a little courtroom inside of our hearts. And we do something and it goes, guilty. (laughs) Shouldn't have done that. And you feel it. That's your conscience. Or you're considering doing something or saying something or thinking something. I don't know if you think about thinking something in the future. Okay, so you're just thinking. But your conscience kicks in and says, that's not right, Cliff. That's not right. Or you think about a decision and you have freedom in your conscience. It works both ways. It comes in and says, innocent, 
Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I have the freedom in, in, in my spirit to, to do that. It's okay with God. That's our conscience. And Paul points out, he says, this love, which is the end of everything we're doing, comes up out of a good conscience. But again, what's a good conscience? It's very interesting. He also, in letters, Paul talks about a clear conscience. And I want to say and propose to you that there's a difference between a clear conscience and a good conscience. And he begins his second letter to Timothy this way. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. A clear conscience comes in our daily life, but it's all after we have a good conscience. The good conscience is one that's been changed, just like our heart has been changed, like I talked before. You see, God takes us when when our conscience is all messed up with sin and we don't even necessarily feel bad about what we ought to feel bad about it. And God comes into our life and changes us and we have a good conscience now. And now our conscience can function the way it's supposed to function. And then we go through life and sometimes when we, we mess up, our conscience accuses us. And then we ask forgiveness and make restitution. And then we have a clear conscience once again. Amen? Paul, I believe, is talking here about that, that changed conscience. And we need to have an effectively functioning conscience for us to have the right kind of love because all day long we face a multitude a one long string of little decisions should i do this should i do that i feel like doing this should i and our conscience are we listening to our conscience to follow our conscience and when we do we end up loving we end up loving people because god the spirit is leading us to love This goal of ours is daily decided. The attainment of that goal is. And then lastly, the fifth facet. It is supernaturally sustained. Supernaturally sustained. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. And then he says, and a sincere faith. Sincere means it's not hypocritical. A hypocrite is one who says he's one thing, but he really isn't. Faith can be that way. We can say, I'm, I'm, I believe, I'm a Christian, and yet it's not really, it's not really true. And we remember that faith is not just intellectually agreeing with facts, certain facts, but faith is also a trust. So it's saying here that love, the goal of our instruction, comes out of a, a real Faith. That means it's a faith that's trusting. It's trusting God with the issues in my life. A life that truly trusts is a life that can truly love. You may not have thought about the connection. But if I'm really trusting in God with the problems that are in my life and with the decisions I face... I'm freed up on the inside to follow his leading and to love as, as I ought to love. When we were in Africa as missionaries and we would have people profess to be Christians, there would be problems. This would happen from time to time. There would be problems in the life, struggles. 
and we'd be working with people and they didn't seem to somehow get over the hump. And then the truth would come out that they were going to see a witch doctor to help them with the problem. And it's like, okay, no, no, that wasn't a sincere faith. They're saying, I'm trusting in Jesus, but when the hard times come, they trust in the witch doctor. Now, that's, that's, that doesn't work that way. When the hard times come, what do you trust in? Do you really trust in God? You see, if you really do, it frees you up. Your head comes up from, from being bowed down and just looking at yourself, being concerned about yourself. When you're trusting God, and I've learned this both the hard way and the easy way. I've failed and I've succeeded. When the trials come, you tend to start to get self-centered. And, and self-centeredness and a focus on yourself doesn't result in love. Love is always outward. Amen? But if you're trusting God... With the trials in your life, your head comes up and you see other people and you start to respond. You start to love. What's your witch doctor? Ah, It's so easy. It's so fun to talk about those people over there that have witch doctors. Because I don't have witch doctors. So it's easy. Yeah, well, maybe you do have a witch doctor. Oh, yeah, he doesn't wave his hands and light fires and do all that stuff. But you're trusting in something else other than God when the hard times come. And your head starts to go down and you're just thinking about yourself. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and in his his promises and your head will come back up and you'll begin to love again. And when you do that, you see, what's happening is that you're living by God's strength. You're living by his enablement. You're being supernaturally sustained. The beginning of this whole adventure was supernatural, but so is every day. I trust in him and walk with him and my head is up, but it's, and I'm reaching the goal of being a loving person, but it's all been supernaturally sustained. The goal of our instruction, it's simple, it's profound, it's supernaturally caused, it's daily decided, and it's supernaturally sustained. May the Lord give us the grace to live this way. Amen? Let's stand together to pray. Our Father, we thank and praise you. For your love and thank you for the greatness of your goal, your purpose in our lives to take us from being uh, defiled, self-centered people. And you give us new hearts and a good conscience and then you sustain our faith and we can look around us and be a channel of blessing to other people. And oh Lord, we ask that you would do this afresh in our lives. And change us and make us into the people you want us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.